Hello, this is Sean Dixon, and I'm here with Brian Patterson and John Gonzalez. We are each returned mission presidents for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and this is the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast. We are here to help prepare you to become successful Preach My Gospel missionaries and lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. In each episode, we explore powerful concepts from every chapter in Preach My Gospel. We will talk to return missionaries and others about their experiences and insights. You can even use this podcast to get institute credit. Let's get started. We are so glad to, to be back together with, with all of you for another episode of the podcast. We're particularly excited today. This is a, a subject that we'll be talking about that is, is so essential and, and so exciting for, for each of us. And it, it's chapter five of, the, of Preach My Gospel. And the, the big question that we'd like to answer today is what is the role of the Book of Mormon? So Ryan, John, and I are here ready to, ready to tackle this subject. We encourage you to get, if you're, if you're at a place where you can open your, your copy of Preach My Gospel, to, to mark it up and, and follow along. If, if not, uh, we just hope that you can, can listen by the Spirit and, and really consider how you can effectively use the Book of Mormon to, to help gather Israel on your mission Elder Joseph B. Worthland uh, gave a quote uh, once at a seminar for new mission presidents. And he just said this. He said, please do not take the Book of Mormon for granted. Pray for a vision of how the Book of Mormon can be used more effectively in your mission. I promise that as you do so, your mind will be enlightened with the direction that you should take. And so if you'll just kind of keep that in mind today as you, as you listen and, and ponder the things that we'll talk about and, and just pray for What's the next step for you with how to make the Book of Mormon an integral part of your missionary preparation? And Sean, as we go through this chapter and preach my gospel, I'd like to just highlight for the listeners that very first box that says consider this because that's what this whole chapter will address. How is the Book of Mormon the keystone of our religion? How does the Book of Mormon answer the great questions of the soul? Why is the Book of Mormon so powerful in the conversion process? How should I use the Book of Mormon to build faith and help others draw close to God? And why is the promise in Moroni 10, 3 through 5 central in missionary work? As we consider this, the entire chapter is going to address and help us understand. Great, Brian. Where, what, what are your thoughts as we begin this journey in chapter 5? Well, there's a powerful line. It's the first line in this section that says, The Book of Mormon combined with the Spirit is your most powerful resource in conversion. Uh, that, that's a powerful statement and, and one that we, we, we wouldn't want to miss. You know, as we focus on the Book of Mormon today, because missionaries will have smartphones in their hands, greater access to use technology and and, and other social media types of things, we, we might tend to think that those things will be the great tool, the great uh, converter. It'll connect people. But I love what it says here. The Book of Mormon combined with the Spirit is your most powerful resource. I wouldn't want to forget that. Yeah, the, the, the brethren, there's so many talks and, and quotes given from prophets, seers, and revelators about the power of the Book of Mormon and they use a lot of different metaphors to describe it. I've, I've been collecting these quotes. I've, if it's okay, I just want to run through a, a few quotes and look for 
what, what each of these prophets, seers, and revelators compare the Book of Mormon to. So the first one is President Ezra Taft Benson. In his book, A Witness and a Warning, he said, combined with the Spirit of the Lord, as, as you said, Brian, the Book of Mormon is the greatest single tool which God has given us to convert the world. If we are to have the harvest of souls that he expects, then we must use the instrument which God has ordained for that task, the Book of Mormon. Next, Elder D. Todd Christofferson, in a Mission President Seminar in 2017, Section 4 of the Doctrine and Covenants tells us that we who are called to the work must thrust in our sickle with our might. The sickle we are to use with our might is the instrument of the harvest, the Book of Mormon. Elder Gary E. Stevenson, the Book of Mormon, this is a BYU Education Week talk in August of 2019. The Book of Mormon is the engine that powers conversion and a change of heart, leading us closer to Jesus Christ. When we think about what the role of an engine is to drive a vehicle, he compares that to the Book of Mormon. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, in a mission leadership seminar in July of 2018, our missionaries should cherish and use the Book of Mormon above all other proselyting tools God has given us. Help your missionaries understand that the Book of Mormon is the preeminent net God has prepared for them to gather scattered Israel in these last days. And then finally, from the introduction to the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith Jr. said, Quote, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion. And a man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And so in summary of all those quotes, Brian and John, the Book of Mormon is the tool which God has given us to convert the world. It is the instrument of the harvest. It is the sickle that we must thrust in with our might. It is the engine that powers conversion. It is the preeminent net God has prepared to gather scattered Israel. It is the keystone of our religion. Those are some pretty powerful endorsements from prophets of God. Yeah, and as we listen to our current prophet, President Nelson, he said if there were no Book of Mormon, the promised gathering of Israel would not occur. This is the evidence of the restoration and just an incredible tool that, that we have to learn. So, I think the, the, the starting point before uh, a missionary can know how to use the Book of Mormon to help somebody else become converted, I think it all begins with the missionary coming to know for themselves if the Book of Mormon really is the Word of God. Right, John? Elder Holland and Sister Holland in a 2018 mission leadership seminar said, as much as we have revered this sacred book, we have not revered it enough. Read, ponder, and cherish the Book of Mormon as the cornerstone of your faith and the centerpiece of your missionary labors. Really ponder that. That's amazing. Right there in Preach My Gospel on page 109 in the very first paragraph, it's speaking to you as missionaries, it says, or as, as those preparing to be a missionary as well. About halfway through, uh, it says... An essential part of conversion is receiving a witness from the Holy Ghost that the Book of Mormon is true. As a missionary, you must first have a personal testimony that the Book of Mormon is true. This testimony can lead to a deep and abiding faith in the power of the Book of Mormon during the conversion process. Have confidence that the Holy Ghost will testify to anyone who reads and ponders the Book of Mormon and asks God if his 
if it is true with a sincere heart, real intent, and faith in Christ. The witness of the Holy Ghost should be a central focus of your teaching. So I love how, Brian, it takes us back to the missionary themselves that, that you f- must first gain that love for the Book of Mormon, receive your own witness, and then you'll have great confidence in inviting others to do the same because you've, you've seen it happen for you. You will totally believe that if I can just get someone to read, ponder, and pray, they will come to know for themselves that it's true. Elder Joseph Worthland, back in 1999 at a mission uh, leadership seminar, said conversion to this inspired book, meaning the Book of Mormon, is conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think, uh, you know, many missionaries can explain what the Book of Mormon is, and there's, there's a place for that. It's comparable to the Bible, teaches of Jesus Christ, but it's so much more important for a missionary to be able to explain what the Book of Mormon does for them. Uh, what has reading the Book of Mormon done for the missionary? How has it changed the missionary? How has it converted the missionary? How has it invited them to live more like the Savior? And so as a missionary falls in love with the Book of Mormon, I think that's one of the assignments for those that are listening is before you serve your mission, you need to first fall in love with the Book of Mormon so that when you explain it, you can change the air in the room as you share with others how deeply you love and feel about the Savior because of your time spent in the Book of Mormon how it's changed your perspective, how it's changed your testimony, how it's changed your relationships with your family. Um, I think when a, when a missionary teaches from that perspective, the Book of Mormon becomes then, then that tool. It becomes an instrument. I think I, I said this before, but it's like the difference between a corporate description of a product online and being able to give a user review. If the missionary can give a user review and talk about, like you said, this is how it's affected me, that tends to really resonate more with the people that we're teaching. And it's more than just having read it to say, yes, I've read it. I'm inviting you to read it. It's I know this book to be true, and I love this book, and I want to share it with you. And you you hand it to them almost as if you're giving them your most prized possession, you know. So the, the question is, how does someone develop that kind of love for the Book of Mormon? You know, if we were speaking to, to your children or a teenager or a grandchild and, and they, were, they were coming up and, and they asked the question, how do, how do I come to love it? I, right now it just seems like a, an ancient book of Scripture that I don't understand. What, what, what advice would you have for the listener who, who doesn't quite yet love the Book of Mormon, but wants to? I, I think it certainly takes time in it. Um, nothing can replace our time in the book. Uh, President Nelson has invited us to go through the Book of Mormon and identify passages that refer to the Savior, uh, that speak of him. Uh, I could see some of our listeners going through and highlighting the titles and the names of the Savior. That, that gives me a purpose. That helps me look for him uh, we might also go through the scriptures and look for the doctrine of Christ, uh, highlight examples of faith or examples of repentance uh, where people change because of the Savior's atonement. They could look for examples of baptism or where people enter into covenants. 
Uh, they might look for the, the gift of the Holy Ghost and how people have, have been blessed or helped uh, by examining and, and, and looking for these essential doctrines of Christ and ultimately where people have endured, right, through the help and the grace of the Savior. And so I think having purpose to your study, forget about the rivers. The storyline may be confusing, especially in Mosiah, but how do I see the Savior? And how do I see uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ working in the lives of people? And then I have to translate that in my own life. Uh, when Elder Oaks came to our mission, he said, and this seems really simple, but he just said, praying before you begin to read and asking Heavenly Father to open your eyes and your heart to the to the message that you're reading makes all the difference. He said that was a lesson he learned a little later uh, in, in his process, but but just to always go in and ask for the help of heaven to help you understand and appreciate the Book of Mormon. And I can testify to what he has uh, offered to us to understand. There have been times where I just was not in the mood to, to get into the scriptures. I, I had too much on my mind. I was focused and, and having a prayer and forcing myself to start uh, to, to do, in a sense, out of duty, to read my five, ten minutes of Scripture study, starting with a prayer, and then getting into the Book of Mormon, I found myself forgetting about the time. And I had to force myself to stop because I did have other responsibilities. So I can testify to what uh, President Oaks has recommended if, if it's okay i'd like to just share a personal story about kind of my journey when i was a young young man i was i, was, I think i was about 14 years old i was invited to read the book of mormon and so this was my my first time through the book and i read through it i would say dutifully from the beginning and it, it took me a long time it, it probably was it took me a year or something to to get to the end but as I started to get to the end, I, I had been taught about Moroni's promise in Moroni 10, 3 through 5. And I, I came upon that promise where it said, if, if you read, ponder, and pray with faith and real intent, you could know if the Book of Mormon was true. So I got to that point and I'm like, well, I, I've, I guess I've done this. I've, I've read the Book of Mormon. I think it's now time for me to get down on my knees and pray and ask God if this is true. So I knelt down and and I offered a prayer, and I was, it was expecting, you know, chills to come over my whole body. You hear in testimony, sometimes people, testimony meeting, describe these major experiences, and, and nothing happened. And I waited, and I waited, and still nothing happened. And so I got up from my knees and continued to read, you know, and on, a, on another day, I, I tried it again, and, and still nothing happened. I was starting to get a little frustrated. Why wasn't I getting this answer that Moroni promised? And then an additional time when I tried to pray again, this time I had this impression come to my mind to think back about what had happened in my life since I had begun to read the Book of Mormon. And as I began to ponder that, I remembered back to where I was a year before and compared it to where I was then in my life. I, I could remember a, a young man in my ward that used to be teased a lot and belittled by, by the other young men. And, and at that point, before the Book of Mormon, I, I would just be grateful that it wasn't me and, 
and not say anything, not, not do anything to defend him. Now I found myself so bothered by that, that I, that I was defending and befriending this young man. I, re- I remember sometimes when, when young men would, would tell stories that were maybe off color and you, we would all laugh and, and all of a sudden those things weren't funny anymore. And, and then I remember just like being bored in church and now I was starting to really love church. And I, I realized that, that my life was being transformed, that it wasn't that I just loved this book, but that over the process of reading that book, I had experienced a mighty change of heart. And the gospel all of a sudden for me was becoming something that I, I absolutely loved. And my whole life began to change. I, I became someone who loved to read the scriptures. Um, I started to receive actual spiritual strength um, from my religion instead of it just being a cultural thing that I went through as a young boy. It was, it all of a sudden I was transformed. And, and to me, after that point, I loved to tell people about the Book of Mormon because it had literally changed my life. And the more I continued to read, the more I felt those feelings. And I don't know if, if, if you guys are like this, but when my Book of Mormon reading wanes, I can feel my discipleship not wavering, but I don't feel the, the, the desire to share. I don't feel just that excitement. And so that was age 14. And it just really put me in a position where I became so excited to serve a mission because of, because of that experience. I love that, Sean. In 2022, I part of my my goal setting was to digitize my uh, my missionary journal. I had handwritten that journal as a missionary, but I wanted to digitize it and 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 have it accessible that way. And and I was overwhelmed as I look back on that project. How often uh, I saw the Book of Mormon playing the role of converting both the missionary as well as those we were working with and, and the, and the tool that it really was, it was constant throughout my journal. And I don't think I had picked up on that as a young missionary, but now with eyes to see, uh, I saw the influence of the book of Mormon on me and, and those I was teaching. It's really important that the book of Mormon not become a side note in what we're doing as missionaries and in our own personal lives. Yeah, it, it says right here in the beginning of Preach My Gospel, page 109, the first principle that's highlighted there with blue is that the Book of Mormon is the keystone of our religion. It's, it's not a side note. It is the keystone. How is the Book of Mormon a, a keystone of our religion? What, what does that statement mean? I mentioned Elder Wer- Worthland's remarks to mission leaders back in 1999 in that same uh, address he said that the Book of Mormon is the instrument that God designed to, quote, sweep the earth as with a flood to gather his elect. That's from Moses uh, 762. Then he said, this sacred volume of scripture needs to become more central in our preaching, our teaching, and our missionary work. And so I, I read that, I listen to that, and it kind of helps me understand Keystone that's the central part of an arch. Yeah, and, and the, the, cool, the cool imagery of a, of a keystone is that center stone just holds the whole arch together. If you pull it out, just Brian, like you said, President Nelson said, if we don't have the Book of Mormon, we don't have the gathering of Israel. The, the arch crumbles, and it's, it's that foundational. 
And Joseph says here in Preach My Gospel on page 109, take away the Book of Mormon and the Revelations, and where is our religion? We have none. The Book of Mormon, as the keystone, locks into place certain things. One, it locks into place that Jesus is the Christ. It locks into place that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God and that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true and is the church of God on the earth today. And so will you take away the keystone and, and, and you don't have those other pieces confirmed? Without the Book of Mormon, it all falls apart. This is central to our message to the world, another testament of Christ. And like Elder Worthland said, to sweep the earth as with a flood to gather our elect. I love that. It's, it's the evidence of the restoration. But I think the thing that's most valuable about the Book of Mormon is the way that it can bring somebody to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? That, that to me, is, is what the Book of Mormon does so powerfully is that you, you can't read it without having a conversion to Jesus Christ. More than just knowing that the Book of Mormon is true, what happens is, like, like I described, you become transformed through Christ. And there on page 111, Preach My Gospel continues by talking about just how the Book of Mormon testifies of Christ. Yeah, and the other Christofferson said there's no other book of Scripture so intentionally focused on Jesus Christ. Uh, his name is mentioned over 4,000 times in the Book of Mormon, using a hundred different titles for the Savior. Some have referred to Third Nephi as the fifth gospel, adding to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and witnessing of his ministry amongst, amongst the people of the earth. I remember Elder uh, Ian Ardern came to our mission, and he invited the missionaries, when speaking of the Book of Mormon, to refer to the complete title, that in their proselyting, in their efforts, as they opened up the scriptures, they might say things like this, I'd like to read with you from the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, or in the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, to bring focus to the book's intent and that's to invite all to come unto him. If I could just read the title page that we've all read before and, and addressed, but I just want to highlight one thing in the title page of the Book of Mormon where it says, that they may know the covenants of the Lord. In other words, the reader may know the covenants of the Lord. Now picture in your mind what President Nelson is helping us to understand, to stay on the covenant path return to our Father in heaven, that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. And then there's a pause in that statement in the Book of Mormon, after we understand the covenants, and also to the convincing of the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations, for me, the Book of Mormon helps me understand the covenants and by doing so solidifies my understanding that Christ is the Savior of mankind, my Savior. And I love this line on page 111 uh, in Preach My Gospel. Those who know little or nothing about the Savior will come to know him by reading, pondering, and praying about the Book of Mormon. 
we had in our mission missionaries uh, called to learn uh, uh, Khmer. Uh, these were Cambodian missionaries teaching a Cambodian people who are traditionally a Buddhist people. And they began to teach one such woman. She was Buddhist. Uh, but she said, I am Buddhist, but I like to read. So she accepted the Book of Mormon. Later, as they followed up with her, she said, I am Buddhist, but I'm enjoying this book. Later, she said, I'm Buddhist, but I'm feeling things I've never felt before. And then she said, I was Buddhist, <laughs> but now I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Do You see the gathering power of the Book of Mormon to bring people to Jesus Christ. Just listen, listen to this. I mean, this is a, a much quoted verse, and we could go, we could sit here and spend forever just highlighting verses. But Second Nephi twenty-five verse twenty-six, and we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies, that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. I think that really sums up the writers of the Book of Mormon and, and what they were intending to do. And it, the, the frequency of reference to the Lord in the Book of Mormon is, is about uh, once in every 1.7 verses. Uh, that just shows us how, how frequently it's there. I think it does it in two ways. One way is that it teaches the doctrine of Christ. And so it's, it's teaching us uh, about how somebody could come unto Christ and then it gives examples of characters who either do or don't follow that. So we can see what it looks like to not come unto Christ or for certain characters we see, oh, this is the process that Alma went through to become converted to Christ or this is what Laman and Lemuel did not do in comparison to what their brother did to have that experience. And as such, we are learning ourselves how we can come unto Christ. So the one thing that, that comes up a lot is you're talking so much about the Book of Mormon. What about the Bible? And, and how, how does a missionary uh, understand what we believe about the Book of Mormon and the Bible? There are many people that will say to us, you know, they'll refer to the Book of Mormon as the, the Mormon Bible or the, the gold Bible. And it's simply not accurate. And so I think it's important here to take a minute to talk about how the Book of Mormon and the Bible support each other. Well, I love what the Book of Mormon says about that. Uh, in Mormon chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, it says, Therefore repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and lay hold upon the gospel of Christ. Of course, the, the Book of Mormon sets forth the fullness of the gospel. It goes on to say, Which shall be set before you, not only in this record, referring to the Book of Mormon, but also in the record which shall come unto the Gentiles from the Jews, which record shall come from the Gentiles unto you, speaking of the Bible. For behold, this, referring to the Book of Mormon, is written for the intent that you may believe that, referring to the Bible. And if you believe that, the Bible, you will believe this, the Book of Mormon also. And if you believe this, the Book of Mormon, you will know concerning your fathers and also the marvelous works which were wrought by the power of God among them. I love in this context that, that establishes the purpose of the Book of Mormon and the Bible working together. These two are not in opposition to each other. These two are best friends. The Bible loves the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon loves the Bible. They testify of each other. And I, I think it's important that, that, that we can somehow, as missionaries, help others 
recognize the role of the Book of Mormon and the Bible in working together to, to bring people to Jesus Christ. I remember as a young missionary, and whether this was a good analogy or not, always trying to explain to the listener that the Book of Mormon and the Bible are like two eyes. And I would have them you know, cover one eye and look around and then use both eyes and that you use the Book of Mormon and the Bible together to see completely, without any distractions, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I love that, John. That's such a, such a great way to, to look at. Both eyes really add depth and you know, add such insight. One caution that I would give listeners is at times missionaries, because they feel that the Christian home they're in and they're familiar with the Bible, they'll try to use the Bible almost in its entirety to help the listener understand and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a mistake. All Christians have the Bible. What they don't have is the Book of Mormon. And so the missionary needs to make sure they use the Book of Mormon together with the Bible as they're teaching. Because this shows how we are unique. We, this is us bringing something new to them. Um, and so it's, it's critical, I think, that we lead with the Book of Mormon, but that we use the Bible also to support what we talk about. When you, when you talk about the word Bible, it, it actually just means books. And the Bible was just a collection of the books of Scripture that were available at that time. And obviously, those who compiled the Bible would not have had access to what was going on in the Americas. They could not have included those books um, with the Bible. Uh, but, but that's why we needed another book where another person could collect those things together and then, and then later bring both books to, to us to be able to use. Yeah, two statements in this uh, part of Preach My Gospel on page 112 that catch my attention. Uh, first, far from competing with the Bible, the Book of Mormon supports it, exhorts us to read it, and testifies of the truthfulness of its message. You should use the Book of Mormon and the Bible to support one another. But then to what you said, John, it, it goes on to say, give priority to Book of Mormon passages when you teach, because this is our unique message to the world that, that God has spoken to this people as evidence of his love for all of his children. And, and this is the tool to gather them to the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we transition here, I love what Elder Collister does with the Bible and the Book of Mormon. But why is the Book of Mormon so essential if we already have the Bible to teach us about Jesus Christ? Have you ever wondered why there are so many Christian churches in the world today? when they obtain their doctrines from essentially the same Bible? It is because they interpret the Bible differently. If they interpreted it the same, they would be the same church. This is not a condition the Lord desires. For the Apostle Paul declared that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. To help bring this oneness about, the Lord established a divine law of witnesses. Paul taught, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. The Bible is one witness of Jesus Christ. The Book of Mormon is another. Why is this second witness so crucial? The following illustration may help. How many straight lines can you draw through a single point on a piece of paper? 
The answer is infinite. For a moment, suppose that single point represents the Bible and that hundreds of those straight lines drawn through that point represent different interpretations of the Bible and that each of those interpretations represents a different church. What happens, however, if on that piece of paper there is a second point representing the Book of Mormon? How many straight lines could you draw between these two reference points, the Bible and the Book of Mormon? Only one. Only one interpretation of Christ's doctrine survives the testimony of these two witnesses. Again and again, the Book of Mormon acts as a confirming, clarifying, unifying witness of the doctrines taught in the Bible. So there is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I love how Elder Callister helps me visualize the line between the Book of Mormon and the Bible that represents one understanding, one interpretation, rather than all these lines going to one single book. I remember when I was on my mission, we would talk about the fact that there were over 3,000 Christian religions in North America alone. And all of those religions would use the Bible, and yet there were so many different interpretations because they didn't have that second witness, second point. So here, here is a scriptural example of the principle that Elder Collister taught about why we need those two points of reference. So let's, let's talk about baptism. So in the Bible, in Matthew three thirteen through 17, this is a great place to go uh, into the scriptures to, to teach about the significance of baptism and how it's done. It's, it's the baptism of Jesus Christ. So in these verses, we learn a couple key things. We learn, number one, that Jesus went to John to be baptized, which shows the need for authority. That's in verse 13. Number two, beyond enabling a remission of sins, baptism is a commandment. We see that in verses 14 and 15. Uh, number three, Jesus went into the Jordan River and came straightway out of the water in verse 16. And number four, this event was so significant that Heavenly Father's voice of approval could be heard from the heavens in verse 17. So those are some great things that the Bible teaches about baptism. But while these are really compelling ideas, there's still so many people that look at baptism in different ways. Um, for example, once I was, I was watching a video, and the video showed Jesus and John walk down into the River Jordan, and then Jesus reached his hand in the water and sprinkled John, and then they walked straightway up out of the water. So, Sean, what I think I heard you say was that, uh, that uh, Jesus sprinkled John, and that, that would be one heck of a story, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would be an example of how somebody got really off there. Yeah, if, no, if I said that, I didn't mean that. It, in the video, John sprinkles Jesus. So, thank you, So, Brian. in the spirit of you know, two or three witnesses <laughs> yeah. to correct false doctrine, there's right? an example. the Bible and the Book of Mormon working that's together. That's why I'm glad to have both of you here to keep me online. So to me, that's a very obvious reference to immersion, but people can still take it and interpret it, right? Some people talk about infant baptism. Um, some people question whether baptism is just nice, but not necessarily necessary. But if you go into the Book of Mormon, into 3 Nephi 11, and then add to what's written in the Bible, look at some of the things we, we learn. 3 Nephi 11, um, 19 through 22, he called Nephi and others forward and gave them the power or the priesthood authority to baptize. Verse 23, he taught that faith and repentance are prerequisites to baptism. Verses 23 to 26, very, very clear reference that baptism is to be performed by immersion. Um, 
And then uh, verse 25, baptism is to be done by the authority given from Jesus Christ. And then we even get the baptismal prayer ending in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now we put Matthew 3 together with 3 Nephi 11, and we have a real powerful and clear understanding. And Jesus even says in 3 Nephi 11, I'm going to tell you this so that there can be no disputations among you. I want to establish my doctrine very clearly. And in page 112 of Preach My Gospel, that second to the last paragraph, it says, as you use the Book of Mormon and the Bible as companion volumes of Scripture, they will overcome contention and correct false doctrine. You've just offered one example. One example. There's many. That next paragraph, I love it, says, the Bible teaches the following about the law of witnesses. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And in harmony with that law, both the Book of Mormon and the Bible testify of Jesus Christ. So uh, the next section there on page 113 um, is, is titled, The Book of Mormon Answers Questions of the Soul. So here's a, here's a quote from President Boyd K. Packer. He said, In a world ever more dangerous, the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, has the nourishing power to heal starving spirits of the world. Um, and I think this quote illustrates two really critical truths when it comes to sharing the Book of Mormon with others. Number one, the world is, is filled with people who have starving spirits, who, for whatever reason, they, they lack knowledge or they lack the healing power of the atonement of Jesus Christ in their life. And the second point is that the Book of Mormon has the nourishing power to actually heal those starving spirits. So I, I think everybody, every one of God's children live far from their heavenly ho- home. They're all wandering down here. They're lost. They struggle. And they have questions that are unanswered. And this is an, a wonderful opportunity for the missionaries to come in and allow the Book of Mormon to help answer the questions that people have in their souls. That also implies that you need to understand enough of the Book of Mormon and have read it and studied it so that when the opportunity comes to share and help someone resolve a concern, the missionary can provide that help. And these are questions that are those that our missionaries are teaching or wrestling with in their own lives, right? Uh, things that uh, they need clarification on, they need answers to, uh, we get a great list on page 113 of some of those questions linked to a chapter in the Book of Mormon. A missionary could, could as these questions come up from investigators, or those, when these questions come up from those they're teaching, uh, here's a great resource where a missionary can lead them into the Book of Mormon. Now, as a missionary studies on their own during their personal study, they'd want to add questions of the soul They'd want to add passages in the Book of Mormon that help address those and answer those. I think, I think it's great to have a tool belt, so to speak, of scriptures that answer the great questions of the soul. And, and we may think, oh, there's way too many questions out there. The fact of the matter is there's a certain number that, that will get asked multiple times. And if you just, as you go through the Book of Mormon and you're reading and you think to yourself, oh, that's a great, powerful statement. What question of the soul could that answer? And then just record that in a place, in a notebook, or 
and a note on your phone and just start to collect powerful statements from the Book of Mormon that could answer the questions that people have. And then in those moments when you've discerned a need or a gap in somebody, you can say, hey, let's open up the Book of Mormon and let it, let it speak to us. And I think there's a much greater power in letting the Book of Mormon answer the question than, than a young missionary. It also helps train those we're teaching to read the Book of Mormon in a certain way where they're reading it to look for answers, to get uh, the responses, the heavenly responses that have come through prophets or that have come through the Savior. And so a careful missionary would, would always want to be recording those questions. And if they see a question coming up repetitively, uh, but we've got to be able to provide an answer from the Book of Mormon. And what a great personal study, a great companionship study that could be for our missionaries. Elder Holland shares a powerful experience where uh, missionaries use the Book of Mormon to answer the question of the soul for a particular woman. I'll give you a 30-second synopsis of a longer story. Of Wallace, Toronto, proselyting in the in Czechoslovakia, I was going to say the Czech Republic, it was Czechoslovakia then, proselyting in Czechoslovakia between the two wars, after World War I and before the rise of Hitler in World War II. And these two missionaries knocked on a door, it opened about that far, and a woman looked out, saw who they were, and slammed the door. Somebody deft of foot, and deft of heart at least, uh, didn't quite get their toe in the door, but they were refused to leave. And by the way, be a little persistent. Now be courteous, be thoughtful, don't be insensitive. But, I, but Sister Holland's got an Avon lady that's more persistent than you are. She's there every week and she's just selling mascara. Okay? Be a little persistent. Don't take no for an answer. At least not any. How many times did the Savior have to come to the Nephites? How many times does he come to the temple in Bountiful to announce who he is in the advent that he's going to make and appear before them? He has to tell them three times. You may have to go back to a door. You may have to go back to an investigator. You may have to find another way to get back into that heart. Don't give up so easy. Well, okay, these elders weren't going to give up easy. And so they knocked on the door, knocked on the door again and again. Finally, she opened again and said in her check, and their check wasn't very good, but he, she told them to leave. And they said, what have we done? We're, 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 we're young men. We're innocent. We're just, we're just visitors here. What have we done? We came to give a message. We came to express goodwill. What did we do? And she said, you're ministers, aren't you? And they said, yes, we are ministers. And she said, that's enough. That's enough for me. That's all. And, and starts to slam the door again. This time they did get a, a toe in the door. Why? What's wrong with ministers? What's wrong with us? Why? Tell us Tell us what? Tell us why. Well, something touched her heart. I'm sure the Spirit of the Lord. I'm sure the persistence of these missionaries a little bit. And she started to tell a a longer story, the quick version of which is that she'd had a daughter, lost a daughter. I don't know where the father was. I guess there was a father. But if he was killed in the war, I don't know. But there's no father in the home. And she has a baby girl, little girl, and at about age three lost the baby. And in total grief and in total distress, and, and again, if it's in the context of the war or what, I don't know. But she went to her local minister and asked for help, and asked for consolation, and asked for counsel, asked for what you ask a minister for. 
when you've had a moment of bereavement and grief and tragedy in your life. And the minister said, now this is the report that, that the missionaries got, and I, 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 I'm leaving it to you as to the accuracy of it. It seems a little harsh, but it's the way they reported it and the way they said it to her, or that she said it to them, that he turned on her and said, I don't have anything to do with you. I don't have anything to say to you. That little girl's in hell, and so are you, eventually, because you didn't have her baptized, and you haven't darkened the door of this church, and you come staggering down here at your moment of loss and expect something, and well, you're not going to get it, and turned her away. I can't quite imagine that, but that's the report. And it was severe enough and honest enough, or at least accurate enough, that she left saying two things. I will never, ever, ever darken the door of this church again. And number two, I will never speak to a minister again in time of need or in time of delight, in time of joy or in time of sorrow. I will never speak to a minister again. So that's why she said, are you minister? And they said yes, and she slams the door. Well, what would you do, elders? Sisters, what would you do? If you're Elder Holland and you've got six memorized discussions and you know them in order and you have to give one before you give two and you have to give two before you give three and, and you have to have your companion ready to do his part because you only know your part when you're, first, when you're a new missionary and on and on and on and all the drama, what would you do? Well, I'll tell you what Wallace Toronto did in 1928 long time before my missionary plan or yours. He said in his broken check, would you like us to tell you where your daughter is? And later on, this woman said, for the first time in my life, I felt the Spirit of the Lord. And she opened the door, didn't let him in. This is still a doorstep conversation, persistent missionaries. This is still a doorstep exchange. She opens a little wider and says, I'd give anything to know where my daughter is. And Wallace Toronto, halting, feeble, broken Czech student that he was, 21 years old or so, opens the Book of Mormon and on the doorstep reads to her in the best Czech he can muster from the eighth chapter of Moroni. Mormon's great letter to his son about the curse of infant baptism and why children are saved by the grace of God and the atonement of Christ in their innocence and swept into the kingdom of heaven on the mercy and majesty of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know who that sister is. I don't even know her name. I don't know how, I don't know how much of that legend is legend and I don't know how... Uh, how it will be seen on into the next 40 or 50 or 60 years, but I know those stories are repeated all over this world on the strength of a missionary who had the sense to know what was in Moroni 8. Now that's why it's got to be in the hearts of the missionaries. And that's a perfect example of what Preach My Gospel is helping us understand on page 114, that as we read the Book of Mormon with the guidance of the Spirit, it helps us answer personal questions. And in this example, the missionaries' study of the Book of Mormon helped them answer the concern an individual had and made all the difference. I love the quote by Elder um, Bednar where he said, teaching is not talking and telling. It's observing 
listening and then discerning what needs to be said. Sometimes we just have a preconceived idea of how we should, what we should say or how we should teach something. But if we're listening, then we can discern what somebody's gap is, what somebody's deep question is in their soul, and then provide a scripture that is just tailor-made for them. And I think that's when people really start to love the Book of Mormon because they can see that it's actually changing their life and giving them the answers to the questions that they once had. My wife used to always tell her missionaries, diagnose before you prescribe. Instead of just coming in with a prescription, imagine a doctor walking into an office and just prescribing. You diagnose first, and then you prescribe a verse that could, could really help them with the question that they had. The, the next section provides one of the most obvious statements in all of Preach My Gospel, <laughs> uh, where it says on page 114, under use the Book of Mormon to respond to objections, many people will not believe everything you teach. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's not news to all of you, you, you young people. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and, and because of that, you know, people are going to have a variety of concerns. And it provides a few examples here, you know, objections to, you know, abortion, plural marriage, seventh-day worship. All, all of those variety of things. And those will be some of the hardest moments for a missionary to know, how do I answer those questions? Because frankly, some of those questions don't have an easy answer. And I don't know that our missionaries have to be experts on church history. They don't have to be experts on all of these social issues of our day that can be wrestled and wrangled in so many different directions, right? Especially if you understand, I think, what this section is talking about. So here's an example that happened to me in Toronto, Canada. So I was living in a city called Brampton, Ontario, which was where the, the new temple was being built. And I happened to be in the area living across the street from the temple when the open house was taking place and the dedication. So it was just a a prime time to be in that area. In fact, my proselyting area was all around the temple. Um, And so one of the things we got to do is we got to be in the basement of the temple when tours were being taken. So as the community came through, a tour would be taken by church leaders, and then they would bring them into the basement. As missionaries, we were there, and we had cards that they could fill out if they wanted a, a free copy of the Book of Mormon or if they wanted to learn more about the church. And so we got stacks of cards. As you can imagine, most of those cards were in the neighborhood, and so they were in our proselyting area. So so we had, following the the open house, we just had a ton of referrals. And, you know, a lot of people, they were just passing curiosity. But one day we we knocked on the door of a man whose name was Leonard, and as, as the door opened, I, I thought I was looking at like a general authority. That's kind of the, the presence that he had. Just a, just a seasoned Christian man. He invited us right in and he said, oh, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, and we said, well, we, have, we, we noticed you requested a copy of the Book of Mormon. We have it for you. And then he began to tell us about his background. He said that he was a, a seeker of truth. He was a Bible scholar and he had been studying the Bible looking for the true church based on what was said in the Bible. And he just said, I, hadn't, I haven't found it yet, but I'm looking for it. And as we talked, there was a couple statements that I'll never forget that he said. He, he basically said in more or less these words that he was looking for a restored church. That He could tell there was evidence that, that, that Christ's church was, was gone and he was looking for that church again on the earth. And we can imagine we were so thrilled. We 
we taught him about the restoration. We taught him about Joseph Smith, and he was, he was eating it up. He was loving it. And then he said another statement to the effect that he believed that man had the potential to become like God. And again, we're just blown away because that was typically a doctrine that, that people would, would really mock us about. But, but Leonard understood that. And so one by one, he was just checking the boxes. We were so excited. And then he said, from my study of the Bible, it's really clear to me that the true church should worship on the seventh day, which is Saturday. We're getting ready to agree with him again. And we're, oh, wait, wait, what's that? And he's like, when do you guys worship? And we said, well, we, we hold our church meetings on Sunday. We, we try to worship every day of the week, but, but Sunday is our Sabbath. And he was so disappointed. He was like, why do you do that? It's, it's clear that the Lord rested on the seventh day. As a young man, I, I always just thought Sunday was the weekend. To me, that was Sunday was the seventh day. But sure enough, I, we looked on the calendar and Sunday is the first day. And we really didn't have a good answer for him. We, we said, you know, Leonard, I don't think it's so important about which day it is, just that the Lord wants us to designate a day. And he's like, no, no, that's, that's not how it is. And we said, well, can we go study and, and, and learn and see if we can come back and, and give you a good answer? And he said, absolutely. So we went and we did our personal study and, and we learned that when Jesus was resurrected, it was on the first day and many Christians after that celebrated or observed the Sabbath on, on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. So that was enough for us. We, we went back over to Leonard and we said, here's the answer, thinking that that would just solve it. He's like, oh, that's, that's a celebration of the resurrection. That's, that's not the Sabbath. And as we sat there, some inspiration came to our mind. And we just said to Leonard, hey, Leonard, have you been reading the Book of Mormon? And, uh, and he said, you know, Actually, I haven't gotten very far into it. And we were a little surprised because he's, he's a lover of Scripture, and, and we expected that he would want to do that. So we said, okay, Leonard, um, how do you feel about reading the Book of Mormon? He said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. And then the, th- the thought came, Leonard, if you read the Book of Mormon and you find out that it's true, if you read and you pray and you find out that this is the Word of God, what will that tell you about Joseph Smith? And he said, well, Joseph Smith would have to be a true prophet. You can't have a false prophet bring forth a true book. And we're like, okay. And if Joseph Smith is the true prophet, what would that tell you about the restoration of the gospel, being that this is that restored church? And he said, well, if Joseph was a true prophet, I would know this is the true church. And if this is the true church, what would it tell you about the teachings that are found in that church? He said, well, I could trust those teachings. He said, so really what you have here is not a problem with the Sabbath day. I think the question really is, is the Book of Mormon true? Um, because I don't know that we can give you a, a good answer to the question that you have. And he said, yeah, I think that's right. So we left and, and we came back after some time and Leonard showed us his bookmark and he was like halfway through the Book of Mormon. And we asked him what he thought. And he humbly told us that that was the word of God that he knew it. And we said, so how are you feeling about Joseph Smith? He's a prophet. What about this being the restored gospel? And he said, yeah. And we said, what about the Sabbath day? And he's just like, yeah, I, I guess I can see how that would be. And it, it, it wasn't like that that was all perfectly resolved, the Sabbath day issue, but that became a non-issue because he had come to gain a witness 
through the Book of Mormon. And, and I found that you could, you could plug in any other principle that you want, plural merit. I, I don't know exactly how to explain that. But, but what I can help you to do is to know whether the Book of Mormon is true because ultimately what we want to do is we want to come back to Joseph Smith. Was he a prophet? And if he was a prophet, then all of these doctrines and revelations that came, came through him. But how do you know if Joseph's a prophet? There is, there's one very, very clear way to do that. It's physical, it's tangible, they can read it, they can hold it in their hands, and if they can just know that that's true, all these other things just just tend to fall into place. Preach My Gospel on page 115 puts a therefore. Therefore, I love that word at the end there. Therefore, the first question someone should answer is whether Joseph Smith was a prophet. And he or she can answer this question by reading and praying about the Book of Mormon. I think as missionaries take the approach that you took, Sean, as a missionary, it keeps people focused on what really matters. Is, is Joseph Smith a prophet? Is the Book of Mormon true? Is this God's church upon the earth? And, and I think that if our missionaries approach objectives in, in the way that Preach My Gospel directs in this section— it avoids so many of the pitfalls that missionaries find themselves in and that, and that those that we're teaching find themselves in. It simplifies it, and it helps them go to, to really the primary question, is Joseph Smith a prophet of God? And if so, boy, we, get a, we know a whole lot after that, and the Book of Mormon provides us that opportunity to, to find out if he's a prophet. What we've talked about in chapter 5 has really helped us understand the importance of studying ourselves the Book of Mormon, having a testimony ourselves of the Book of Mormon, recognizing that it will answer questions of the soul, and how to approach the Book of Mormon in our missionary labors. In our next episode, we'll actually get into the next concept, and for me the most important concept, of how to use the Book of Mormon effectively with those we're teaching. I look forward to that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast and that it helps you in your study of Preach My Gospel and preparing you for your mission. Please join us for our next episode. And if you feel this podcast might be helpful to others preparing to serve a mission, please invite them to join us on our journey through and discovery of Preach My Gospel. For more information on how to get Institute credit for this podcast and other offerings by the Utah Valley Institute of Religion, please visit utahvalleyinstitute.com. You may also find us on Instagram at Preach My Gospel Podcast. Feel free to send questions or comments to Preach My Gospel Podcast at gmail.com. The Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast is produced with the permission of the Utah Valley Institute of Religion. The hosts are expressing their personal views based on their own experiences, applying the principles of Preach My Gospel, and accept full responsibility for the content in these podcast episodes.